Hey, it's Seth Godin. In the summer of 2012, I had an amazing opportunity to spend three days with a group of extremely motivated entrepreneurs, people right at the beginning of building their project, launching their organization. During those three days, I took them on a guided tour of some of the questions they were going to have to wrestle with, some of the difficult places they were going to just stand up and say, this is me, this is what I'm making. I'm sorry you couldn't be there, but I hope this is the next best thing. Excerpts from the live event, unrehearsed, no slides. Here it is. Enjoy it. But even more important, I hope you do something with it. Thanks for listening. Um, okay, so remember we talked in hockey, knowing what to do, being willing to get hit, and doing it really well? The doing it really well, being able to skate better than other people, is a key part of hockey. It's worth getting good at it, but not unless you know where to skate and you're willing to get hit on the way. So we're spending today talking about those two things. And then there's a whole bunch of useful technologies that help entrepreneurs execute and help them do it faster and cheaper. Some people are using them as crutches where they're just doing nothing but that stuff even though they have no idea where they're going and because they're hiding. So it's really important that we start by making sure you have nailed your vision. right? Making sure that you've decided on this date in Chicago, 240 people are going to come pay $1,000 to come to my three-day conference. If we agree on that, then we can talk about a whole bunch of cool tools and techniques you can do to go make that happen. So what I'm hearing you say is that there's no shortage of great ideas. It's just a shortage of people that are willing to bet their reputation on executing one. Yeah. There's an infinite number of great ideas. I mean, you just go down the list of all the people who are going to Y Combinator. Take whichever idea you want, because you're better than them. Right? Go down the list of what businesses have opened locally in Wisconsin and open one of them in Ohio, right? The people in Ohio don't know that that business is in Wisconsin. They're just out there all over. One of the mistakes, though, is you get into kiteboarding and you decide, I want to run a kiteboarding business. Well, this is the thing you do for fun and whether it's a good business. And what I learned a long time ago is it's more fun to work on a business that's working than it is to work on a failing business in an industry you like because failing businesses really suck. And so that's why I'm pushing now to do the uncomfortable work of picking a better structure. So think about Madagascar. There are these guys who have a uh, chocolate business there where they uh, pay the farmers to grow the chocolate and then they put it in wrappers and they bring it to sell it here. And their heart is totally in the right place. But they're not executing on the chocolate part of the business in a way to make the business successful enough to actually fulfill their dreams. Because it's so easy to get hung up on this crop of cocoa beans is no good, blah, 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 blah. That's the easy part. The hard part is getting someone to pay $5 for a chocolate bar. If you've got enough of that, you can solve your bean problem. So I'm going to keep pushing back to, yeah, but who is the customer and why are they going to give you money? So it's very important to understand the difference between macro and micro. So I don't know if you've ever seen one of these before, but this is a record album. <laughs> Vinyl sales are 10 times bigger than they were 10 years ago. So clearly the industry is dead. Clearly vinyl is not important. But if you're the number one seller of vinyl records in America, you're doing fine. So I think we can agree that publishing, as the two of you know it, is gone. 
forever, never to return. But the pockets are going to be better than ever for the next 20 years. Because the people who are left in it care deeply. They're not just tourists. They're in. And those kinds of people are way more likely to pay to be connected, way more likely to pay to be informed, way more likely to learn what they don't know. Because they're in. And you don't need everybody, especially at the scale we're talking about for the kind of stuff you're talking about. You just need the passionate few. So don't worry about macro at all. When I was starting Yo-Yo Don, I used to go to meetings and have to explain that email was going to be popular one day. That one day, lots of people would have email. Because investors were thinking macro, which was stupid. What they needed to say was, will Procter & Gamble pay you $400,000 to advertise? That's all. Because as long as we could do that every month, we were going to be fine. Okay, so it's, the real question is, what do I think about selling advertising? Most advertising is purchased by people who do not want to know if it works. <laughs> Most advertising is bought by big companies and their ad agencies, and if it doesn't work, you have to tell your boss you bought an ad that didn't work. So that's why they like TV ads more than they like banner ads, because no one can say a TV ad failed. But with a banner ad, you have to say no one clicked on the link. Not true for small businesses, not true for owned and operated businesses, totally true for big companies. Except for, uh, you could say that digital advertising took off because after 9-11, a brand manager could say, I spent this much, I'm not doing print anymore because we can't measure it, but check it out, on the internet, I spent this much and got this, got this many click-throughs, and there were actually were click-throughs back then. I know, I was there, but no big brands, not one, did that. The people who did it were direct marketers, the dancing monkeys, the L.L. Beans, the people who were click was worth something. But if you're a L'Oreal, if you're anybody who's in a brand business as opposed to a direct response business, you don't know what, to do, what a click is worth. So click-through was this proxy that you made a good banner ad, but it wasn't, I'll come back for five times as many. So when Google sells those little ads, if you look, most of them are not for big, famous brands. They're for owned and operated small businesses or direct marketers who know how to measure. All of which is a way to say, if you want to sell a display ad in an email to Kraft, you don't go to Kraft and say, buy this because the open rate is 8% and we're going to get a lot of people to click on it. Because that's not the way Kraft buys ads. What you do is you do what Groupon did, is you go to local bakeries and pizza places and say, count how many people come in with a coupon. That's a totally different transaction. So when you think about selling an ad in an email, you really have to sell it to people who measure the result, not the people who measure the clicks on the way to the result. So if you had an email for beer lovers that every week sent an email about beer of the week and where to go to drink it, you could just go to a bar and say, don't worry about our open rate, don't worry about our click-through, just count how many people come and buy a beer from you after we run the ad. And it will run the first one for free, but then you're going to pay for the second one. Well, if it works, of course he's going to pay for the second one because he made a lot of money. That's what I would say. I wouldn't go in with some fancy story about open rate because that's not what really makes brands buy ads. Not so much that you would leave with that, but you know, it's like 25-year-old media players who buy media. They say they need to actually have you on the chart. Well, we're getting as many victory rates from this. 
Correct. And that is a false objection, and we, uh, I'd love to spend a couple of minutes on it. Most of the time when you are making a sale, you will be confronted with false objections. And a false objection is the reason someone gives to get you to go away because they're afraid to say yes. And we have false objections. Oh, it doesn't come in yellow? I can't buy a car that's not in yellow. Well, actually, you're going to end up buying a car that's not yellow. You just threw that out there so I would go away. In the case of selling advertising, which I've been selling my whole life, the false objections are unbelievable, what they come up with, especially media buyers who don't want to admit they have no authority. They're just collecting data. What they end up buying is what their boss wants. So when I was at Yahoo, uh, the front page of Yahoo was sold out for a year and a half in advance, even though the front page of Yahoo didn't work. But the boss wanted an ad that was the equivalent of the Super Bowl, front page of Yahoo. And then you would go and say, well, blah, blah, what's the click-through rate? Well, you're just looking for a reason to say no, not a reason to say yes. And we see this over and over again. Now it's going to happen with Twitter. People are going to buy these ads on Twitter, not because they work, but because they're visible enough in their little business community that they can brag about the fact that they were on this spot at Twitter. And it's changing slowly, but it's not changing fast. And when it really changes, the ad industry is going to collapse. Because it's all fueled by this irrational ego buying. It is not fueled by ads that actually work. I know I haven't persuaded you, but I'm happy to talk about it later. No, no, I, I have persuaded already. Actually, I what about the that actually does work? Though? Sorry? What about a that actually does well, work? Well, so ads that work for direct marketers are bought to infinity. So if your catalog, when you pay a dollar, you make two. You go to the Postal Service and say, I would like to mail this to every human being on the planet. As long as you're making more than it costs, you just buy an, infinity, an infinite number of them, right? The number of times that happens is very, very, very tiny because it doesn't work. That's not how advertising works. Advertising, <clears throat> the head of advertising Mercedes-Benz said, if all I did was run an ad the day before you were ready to run a buy a luxury car, I'd never sell another Mercedes. I have to start showing you Mercedes ads when you're four years old so that when you're 36, you buy a Mercedes. He can't measure the click-through on Mercedes ads. It doesn't matter. What matters is when you're 36, you trust that a Mercedes isn't going to let you down. And the reason you trust is because for 32 years, you've been seeing ads for Mercedes. That's what drives real big ad spends. When, when I was selling to Amazon in the old days, Jeff Bezos said to everybody on the staff, you can buy as many new customers as you want for $33 each or less. So if someone's willing to run a campaign that gets us a new customer, meaning they bought e something even for a dollar, for 20 bucks, buy infinity. And if it's 36 bucks, buy zero. And that's the way they did it, right? They lost money as much as they could afford for three years buying customers for less than $33 each until they got to whatever it was, 50 million customers. And he did the math right. If he had been wrong, they would have gone bankrupt. So I love that we're starting with this competitor thing, which is a really good clue about what's going on in the marketplace. So if we think about your competitor, let's pretend there's one. I would wonder, and I could imagine doing this by Googling their name, how many people are talking about them how many people are interacting with them? Does this company have one employee, 50 employees, or 500 employees? Can I find people who buy from them who love them? And can I find people who buy from them 
who are really unhappy that they have to buy from them. Because what's magic here is someone dropped something into the pond and there's all these ripples. And you can look at the ripples, and the ripples will tell you how big the rock was. And the ripples will tell you how deep the pond was. You're not the first one who's jumping in. And you can then make some guesses there about whether they have completely satisfied the market or just touched the tip of the iceberg. You can buy stuff from them and find out what sort of interactions happen in follow-up. And uh, you said they, they're building a community. So you can go into their community and say, how many people are in their community? Do they come back every day? Do they come back never? What's the velocity of the interactions here? Because it's, it's, it's like knocking over a hornet's nest. If just a couple of hornets fly out, probably not a lot going on. But if there's this extraordinary buzzing, you've learned that you might be onto something. Then I'd say, what's wrong with these people? What, what do they want to own right, that, that I can't own and vice versa? So one of the things that I love is the uh, MBA XY axis thing where you draw a grid like this and on this axis is one attribute and on this axis is another one. So one model could be friendly versus stiff and another model could be expensive versus cheap. Right? So you could say, we're going to be the cheap and friendly business and these guys have decided they're going to be the Teutonic, expensive, uh, take it or leave it thing. So we're going to differentiate ourselves. On, so you can put whatever you want on these two axes. But whatever you pick, you should be in a different corner than the people you want to compete with. And so if you look in um, Free Prize Inside, I listed a hundred choices of what you could be. Disposable, green, permanent, expensive, fast, slow. There's all these things at the extreme. Right? So you got British Airways first class in one corner, Southwest Airlines coach in a different corner. You can figure that out. So you start by saying, all right, is this a vibrant community? And two, have they put themselves in a quadrant where they can't move? So we can go into the other quadrant and say to everyone, we're just like them, but we are blank. And if it's vibrant enough, a certain number will come see you. There are two kinds of markets. There's a market that's big enough that you can afford to uh, waste some samples, and there's a market that's so small you can't. So if it's a big market, you pick up the phone, you see if you can get a meeting, you go on a sales call even if you don't have anything to sell. And you say, we know that you buy this kind of product, this is going to be our product line, would you like to be one of our customers? And if they throw you out because you're completely blank, 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 you just learned something. But if there's only three companies in the whole market, that you could sell to, you can't afford to do that because you only get first chance to make a first impression, right? So in that case, you have to be a little bit more adroit at who you're going to meet with and understand their pain. But what you're going to understand, what everyone here can learn, is if you reach out to somebody and say, I love this industry, I want to understand where your pain is so I can help you solve your problem, lots of people are eager to tell you what their problem is. Now, they're probably not going to tell you the real problem. You're going to have to guess based on what they say. So Henry Ford went to people and they said, we want better buggy whips. They didn't say, make us a car for $700. So you have to like, listen and diagnose from that what they really need. <clears throat> the last part, and then I'm losing voice, so I'm going to wrap up after this. 
last part is the worldview of the purchaser. So in the medical device industry, the purchaser has unlimited money and an enormous need for security, safety, and deniability. So that's a totally different company than a company that says, oh, you make toys for a living. Let's have a phone call and maybe I'll send you something. Right? So you're going to have to build an organization that matches the mindset of the people you want to sell to you. There's a study that was done 30 years ago. And the way the study worked is they took three-year-olds, which they probably couldn't do today, and put them in a room with a marshmallow. You may have heard about this. And they said to them, here's a marshmallow. If it's still here when I come back in five minutes, I'll give you two marshmallows that you can eat. But if it's not here, if you eat it, you don't get any more marshmallows. And the fascinating thing about the study, five minutes is a really long time when you're three years old in a room by yourself with a marshmallow. <laughs> they did, it'll go off by itself. Sorry. Um, so they followed these kids for 30 years after this simple study. And what they found is this. 15 or 20% of the kids don't eat the marshmallow. And there's video of this. And you see kids, one kid I saw takes the marshmallow and eat stuff, stuff out of the inside of the marshmallow and then heals it back together. Right? That kid, I don't want to be my accountant. But, um, there was this girl who was like sniffing the right, Licking it just a little bit. They follow them, and 30 years later, the kids who didn't eat the marshmallow have better marriages, did better on their SATs, went to more famous colleges, get paid more money. Statistically significant. Now, one lesson that they would like you to learn from this is that putting off satisfaction for five minutes is a trait that pays off in the long run. But that's not why I told you the story. I told you this story because what I hope you took away from yesterday is there's all these marshmallows. Take the marshmallow. You don't have to eat it, but if you don't sign up for the study, you don't get any marshmallows at all. Right? Take the marshmallow. Don't hold yourself back. Don't say, well, I'm not qualified for a marshmallow, or I probably won't get any marshmallows, or someone else's turn to get the marshmallow. Just take the marshmallow. This revolution isn't going to last very long, and you're in the right place at the right time for once. Thank you for listening to the Startup School with Seth Godin. To learn more about Seth or to subscribe to his daily blog, please visit sethgodin.com. You can also find his books in any bookstore or on amazon.com. This has been an Earwolf Media production. Executive producers Jeff Ulrich and Scott Ackerman. For more information, visit Earwolf.com.